0: Welcome to The Commercial Disco, a voyage of commercial discovery. This episode is proudly brought to you by CSIRO, Australia's national science agency and innovation catalyst. Explore the commercialization of great ideas across deep tech and science. Immerse yourself in conversations with the ambitious minds shaping Australia's unique innovation landscape. Discover their insights into what's needed to bring these remarkable ideas to life.
1: Hello and welcome to the Commercial Disco. I'm James Riley, Editorial Director at innovationos.com. Today I'm talking to Nirembhuda Kamau, the Managing Partner at Veranda Africa Group. Welcome.
2: Thank you, James. It's a pleasure to be here.
1: So there's a series of firsts here. I think this is the first we've done on the space sector, but the first time I've spoken to someone on this podcast who is situated right now on the African continent. So thank you, Nidambuwa, for getting up early in the morning to do this. Not a problem. I'm going to start by just asking for a snapshot. Most of our listeners are in Australia. We have a great many that are interested in the space sector. When we talk about the space sector and Africa, what are we talking about? What does it look like? What's happening there?
2: Absolutely. So I'll start by stating the obvious. Africa is massive. And so there's quite a diversity of activities within space, depending on the region and countries. But we are seeing a lot of support from governments across the board. And this is supported by space programs. For example, Kenya has a Kenya Space Agency. Dozens more countries, such as South Africa, Rwanda, Angola... Ethiopia and Ghana that are supporting the emerging space economy through investment by government directly, as well as support for upcoming startups within space. At the umbrella level, the African Union has the African Outer Space Program, and this is supported through the African Space Policy and Strategy to align with the AU Agenda 2063. And so this is an intergovernmental organization that has also now founded the Africa Space Agency, which is based out of Egypt. Though it's not operational yet, but will be in the next year or two, which mandate is to combine the efforts of African countries that are doing work within space and to drive the agenda.
1: So can I ask, with the Africa Space Agency, is it a coordinating body for all of the other space agencies, the national level bodies, or is the ultimate aim that it becomes more than a coordinating body, it becomes de facto regulator for the continent? I'd say
2: more the former. And this is because, again... Africa is huge. And until we get to a point where there's significant space activity, each country will have its own mandate and its own jurisdiction in terms of developing policy law. And what we see, or at least what we've heard at this point, is that Africa Space Agency will support such activities rather than be the authority across the different countries.
1: So let's talk specifically about Kenya then, the Kenyan Space Agency. Its primary mission, I would imagine, is somewhat similar to other space agencies around the world, regulation plus some industry development. Can you just tell me what's the areas of focus for a country like Kenya? What are you doing at a national level that's interesting in space? And I was just going to say you're an aerospace engineer by training, so in that sector.
2: Yes, I am. So the Kenya Space Agency is doing amazing work. They was founded in 2017 and since there has been significant activities across launching of a satellite, so there, there was a satellite launched TAIFA-1 that is mainly going to be looking at earth observation and, and specific aspects of Kenya, climate and such activities. It's also the governing body that is developing law and policy that is going to support any space activities across Kenya and any partnerships between Kenyan companies, the Kenyan government, and any other external agencies or countries or startups. So the main role of the space agency at this point is to support and act as an enabler for the space economy in Kenya.
1: And when we talk about Kenyan startups, I'll probably ask you the continent wide version of the same question. But when we talk about Kenyan space startups, is there a particular flavor, area of focus? Is there a particular problem that is currently attracting a lot of attention?
2: Yes, there is. And I'll actually speak to it both from a Kenyan context as well as the African content in general. So Space sector broadly is divided into upstream and downstream and upstream being launched, you know, the likes of SpaceX, satellite manufacturing, and then downstream more of utilization of space-related products and services. And so the major area of focus at this point is the downstream sector, where space data is being utilized for earth observation, navigation, positioning, and timing and satellite communication as well. And the specific area here that is of focus is Earth observation. And this is because we see space as an enabler and a supporter for solving problems here on Earth. So when we talk about Earth observation, for example, we're looking at, is it possible for us to create better climate resilient solutions to curb climate change? And this stems from the fact that Africa is suffering the most from climate change, but has contributed the least. And this is this is a well known fact. So, you know, satellite and, and the space sector is seen as as a significant component to help us in terms of first of all understanding what the problems are over time and making the best decisions for the future.
1: I would think it's a huge focus also in Australia, given the continental size, and also some of those climate change issues and issues of climate extremes. Can I ask, maybe this is on Earth observation, I'm not sure, but the relationship of outsiders with Africa has been extractive in some ways. How do you manage things like Resources like space based or sensor based resources exploration of the African continent. How are different African countries kind of putting guardrails around some of those minerals exploration technologies, or is it not possible?
2: I believe it's possible, and that's a really good point that you bring up, James. And that is the relationship, unfortunately, that Africa has to this point. But this is now changing, the narrative is changing, and we're seeing governments taking control of minerals and exploration. And in fact, this is one key area that Earth Observation, that technology can really support. And one of the guardrails that's being put into that is fair compensation of any activities that come with extraction, but also ensuring that the lead of any such projects are actually home-based rather than external investors and decision makers. And a key aspect of this, I think, is at a government level, right? Because I strongly believe, and I think this is you no know, knowledge that very little goes without the knowledge of at least an official or two within government. And so this is something that is being looked at quite critically. And even further than extraction of minerals, such as diamonds, when we look at the potential of Africa to contribute to Satellite manufacturing, for example, we have tons of minerals that are being mined out of Africa and value addition can actually be done within Africa to ensure that we're also part and parcel of contributing towards the development of satellites or rockets or smartphones for that matter, because a lot of the minerals do actually come out of the African soil.
1: So in terms of a launch industry on the continent, I think... There is a launch industry. Djibouti has a facility, is that right?
2: Not yet. So they have signed for one, and, and this is a partnership with China. And what is of interest about the launch in Africa is the same advantage that we actually have in Kenya. It's our equatorial position and also that we're facing the Indian Ocean, and that is absolutely ideal. And based off of the number of tourists that we have coming into the country, we have amazing weather, which is a privilege that most launch countries don't share at this point. And so the launch aspect is very, very lucrative at this point and has the potential to really develop our capability within the upstream space industry. And and that's very exciting. The work that is being done at this point is foundational, though I have to point out that if and when we have a launch capacity in Kenya, it wouldn't be the first time Malindi San Marco Center was, you know, launching in the eighties. And this was by the Italians. So. Getting ownership of that as, you know, as Kenya, Kenya Space Agency, Kenya government and the pool of Kenya would be, would be extremely exciting and important. And also other countries across Africa would be looking to do the same. However, at this point, we have visibility of Kenya and Djibouti. Um,
1: and have you got launch companies, like literal rocket companies in Kenya or in the broader Africa now? Not yet. However.
2: In fact, this this was Rwanda Africa's first step into the space sector, partnered up with a company based in the US that were looking for a facility around the world, actually. And I believe Australia was also one of the countries that they were exploring at that point. And what we did was research piece on the viability of building a spaceport in Kenya now, and the numbers just Made so much sense, right? And so there will be, I believe, a lot of interest. Whether it's that we build our own launch companies and build our own rockets, or we attract investors and companies such as SpaceX or many others that are coming up now for reusable rockets that can actually operate out of Kenya.
1: I'm talking to Niamira Kamal, managing partner at the Veranda Africa Group. Talk me through what Veranda Africa Group does. So we are a consultancy
2: company. So I founded it back in 2018. My background is in aerospace engineering. I've worked in multiple industries, you know, aerospace manufacturing, healthcare, telecommunications. And the basis of our operations is in supporting organizations in market validation, specifically in the implementation of technologies across healthcare aviation, etc., And this is mainly to ensure that we're investing in the right things and solving the right problems for any sector that we're involved in and, and our clients are involved in.
1: Right, and I think you have worked all over the world. Have I got that right? Certainly through Europe. Yes, I've worked
2: with multiple companies from multiple parts of the world, yes.
1: So I guess what I'm asking now is you've returned to can you, you set up your own consulting firm You clearly see opportunity. What's your end goal, your stretch goal? What's the big learning ambition that you have for your company and for yourself?
2: One of the biggest drivers for me moving back was an understanding of how much potential we have to leapfrog, especially at the technical level. And I say this because we still have underlying problems, for example, in healthcare, in infrastructure, in connectivity that have not been tapped into. And one of the biggest barriers being funding, right, and the fact that we have other priorities that don't necessarily mean that high-tech areas are, are prioritized. However, this is also an advantage and I see it as such because we have the capacity to do frugal innovation and to actually solve real problems. And I'm an engineer and I say this respectful. Sometimes we come in and develop solutions and then find a problem for it. And so knowing that, you know, we can go from the problem side and actually solve problems and meet real needs of the people that we serve is something that is, that is extremely important.
1: So you're a a returning expat, I guess, coming back into the Kenyan space ecosystem and bringing your skills with you from offshore. You would build domestic capability via both external skills and skills developed internally within Kenya. We have a skills shortage here in Australia in certain key areas. I'm I'm sure it's the, the same in most places in the world. How do you overcome those kinds of issues?
2: It's true, and I think especially in the space sector, there's quite a shortage, and this is a conversation that is happening across the globe, and thinking through how do we either reskill whoever is already in the job market or start to really influence younger generations who are in high school, primary school, to actually go the STEM route and you know, and study aerospace engineering or all such programs that can actively contribute towards, you know, the space sector. Having said that, the space is quite broad. And I I think one of the things we do quite a bit is associate the space sector with space, the location, you know, and, and activities that are happening in space. But on ground, we need lawyers, we need investors, we need accountants, we need a workforce that is quite diverse, we need biologists, physicists. And so looking also to those other disciplines of education as potential space sector workforces is important. And further, there's already, you know, I studied aerospace engineering, I worked in aerospace manufacturing, so which was not specific to the space sector as it is at this point. But I've managed to reskill and learn on the job. And I believe this is the case for thousands, if not millions of people that are working in the space sector now. And so we can continue to have that focus where we understand that there's huge potential for reskilling and that I think every one of us that's already in the job market has something that they can contribute to the space economy at this point. And this is not to say that a space engineer doesn't have to be a space engineer. I think there's specific skills that need to be taught over long-term periods in academia, but there's also skills that can be taught on the job or on short courses as well.
1: The space sector really has had quite a renaissance in the last 10, 15, 20 years, I, I suppose. I mean, some of it are driven by SpaceX, but they're not the, the lone rangers there. There's a lot of excitement in Australia. There's a lot of startups in a very broad range of areas, from rockets to specialized satellites, all all sorts of areas. Is it the same in Kenya and in continental Africa, that level of excitement and interest in space as a broad industry opportunity for young people to kind of pursue?
2: Yes, absolutely. We are seeing a lot of excitement around it and especially from young students at the university level. Space is exciting, you know, if we let go of the commercial side for a bit and look at, you know, sci fi, for example, it's very inspiring, right? And so a lot of people want to be associated with the industry and work within it. At a Business level, I think any pragmatic business owner wants to know, you know, even though they they love the photos, it's, you know, it's exciting. So what? So what? We have all this data that we're downloading out of space. And so what we're seeing now is excitement around how can these products actually impact businesses and form any meaningful change or drive any decision making that is actually going to impact the bottom line of any companies at the government level. It's how will they influence policy, make for better decisions and make those decisions faster and easier to come to.
1: I'm going to finish on this one. I think you were recently in Brazil to work on the International Space University program there. The space sector globally seems like a small world out there. I'm wondering, you seem to have contacts all over the world. How is Brazil? it was amazing in summary.
2: And the, the reason was exciting for me. The International Space University represents what I was speaking to earlier, which is that there is potential for reskilling and upskilling already existing professionals and recent graduates. And so the Space Studies Program is a summer program that is offered annually in different countries. And it brings together experts within space, in academia, in industry, and they offer their knowledge and expertise to a number of participants, again, from all over the world and from every manner of fields that you can imagine. And they come in with the interest of understanding what the space sector is in the first place and also finding out how they can contribute and work within the space industry. And so for me, it was interesting to see how such a program is delivered and was very successful. And not just the people who come in to offer the knowledge and expertise or the participants, but also the Brazilian space sector is growing. And it, it was brilliant to learn more about, you know, the amazing work that they're doing, the satellites that they've launched dedicated to conserving the Amazon They have sophisticated test capability for satellites, and they're doing amazing work both in academia and in industry across those sectors. And it was also good for my own networking and everyone else's networking, knowing what's happening around the world, understanding collaboration, because at this point, James, it's impossible to work in a silo. We all need each other. And it, having a space where we all come together and you're absolutely right, it's quite small and it's rare, these gatherings. So having that privilege was extremely helpful.
1: That well, sounds amazing. and Vera Kamal, Managing Partner at the Veranda Africa Group. I want to thank you very much for uh, getting up early and where you are and joining us on the commercial disco. Thank you. Thank you for having me.
0: for joining us on this episode of the commercial disco podcast proudly brought to you by CSIRO don't forget to like subscribe and leave a review wherever you heard us for the latest on tech innovation and public policy visit innovationoz.com. and stay connected with us on social media to ask questions or suggest future guests until next time this is the commercial disco wishing you an inspired week ahead